And just as we start off, I want to give you a question. Uh, it's not my question, but it's one that's in a movie. It's in a particular scene in one of the Harry Potter movies. And in this scene, uh, there's a bunch of people arriving at a, kind of a rendezvous point after trying to get somebody else there safely. And one of the people runs up to another and asks uh, the question, what creature sat in the corner first time Harry Potter visited my office in Hogwarts? So does anybody know the answer to that question? You guys, maybe, just read them? No? Well, maybe it helps. The, the character is uh, uh, Remus, Professor Lupin, asking. So, well, okay, that's all right. <laughs> you didn't come for a Harry Potter quiz. But uh, he asked this question. Uh, does anybody know uh, why that character asked this question from the movie? Why is the character asking somebody this? Like, what is the, you know, what was the creature sitting in the corner the first time Harry Potter, Potter, Harry Potter uh, visited me? Anybody know why he's asking it? Probably to confirm his identity. There you go, to confirm his identity. He wanted to see if this person who looked like Harry Potter actually was Harry Potter. And so he's asking a question to see, uh, is this person an imposter? Or are they the real thing? Are they, is this actually Harry Potter standing in front of me? Uh, and we might, you know, what are some other ways we try to test someone's claims uh, to be who they are? We might have like an ID badge, like, well, you can't get in here unless you have an ID badge showing us that you actually are this doctor or this person or this police officer that can enter into this place. Like, you need to prove that you uh, are, can be here, have the authority to be here. Uh, you can ask them questions only that person would know. Uh, you can look for characteristics that are unique just to that person. Uh, you might be like, oh, they just seemed off, like they didn't seem themselves. Or uh, you could also uh, just you know, come up with, like, only this person would know the answer to this, and so I'm going to ask them what that is. And we're looking for, how do I know if this person's the real thing? Are they really someone who can enter this room? Or are they really this person? I'm supposed to meet so-and-so. Are you the person I'm supposed to meet, or are you just someone who's uh, an imposter? And we want to tell if someone's authentic or genuine or real, uh, that they aren't fake. And today we're going to be talking about how to know if you really know God, if you really are a follower of Jesus. And so we have ways of asking, are you really this person or do you really have this authority? Are you really a doctor? Uh, and today what the pastor we're looking at is uh, helping us see, do I really know God? Am I really a follower of Jesus? And I, am I genuine? Am I authentic? Am I the real thing? And maybe, uh, even as I, you know, thought about this passage, like, that topic can kind of give us a little gulp in our throats, like, ooh, like, yeah, do I really know God? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Like, we're going to test that out today uh, to figure out if that's true or not. And we're in this, jo- this series on the joy of being loved, and we were made for the joy of being loved, being loved by God no matter what. And joy is how love feels. Joy is a, a relational thing. It says, I'm glad to be with you. I want to be with you. I like you. Uh, I'm happy to see you. That's what joy is. And this whole series is about learning to receive the joy of being loved by God. Uh, brain scientists today will talk about how joy is the thing we want most. That's, it's what we're always looking for. When you walk in this room, you're looking to see, are people happy I'm here? Are they glad to see me? Or are they not glad to see me? And we kind of run our whole lives looking for joy. And that's why we're in this series. And so the question I'd given you that they had asked this person who looked like Harry Potter was specific to them, but the question that God or somebody might ask to us is, uh, do you have sin? Do you sin? Are you a sinner? And that would be 
a question, that's a question we're going to get out of this passage, is how do you know if someone is really a follower of Jesus, really knows God, and you ask them, well, do you have sin? What do you think? Do you have it or not? And depending on how the person answers, you would know whether they know God or whether they don't. And then also you could follow up and say, well, what are you do about it? What are you doing about it? If somebody says yes, then, well, what are you doing with that? If you have sin, if, you claim, if you're saying you're a sinner, you're willing to admit that, what are you doing with that? And these two questions tell us whether someone knows God or not, whether someone's a follower of Jesus or not. And the letter of 1 John was written by one of Jesus' closest disciples. So we're looking at 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And this is, he wrote the gospel according to John, so that was about Jesus' life. Uh, of his experience of being with Jesus those three years while he was doing his ministry on earth. Uh, and then he writes these couple letters to these congregations of people who are now following the Jesus that he's teaching people about. And he's writing to people who have experienced uh, people leaving their group, people leaving their community. And now he's writing to them to say, like, how do you know if someone really knows God? Like, these people that are leaving, they've proven they don't really know God, not by their leaving, but by how they would answer these kind of questions, these tests that First John, he's writing to this community and trying to help them to test the claim to know whether somebody knows God. If somebody's claiming to know God, how can you know? This is a, some tests. How to tell if someone is real, really knows God, really follows Jesus. And if we just backed up one verse from what we're going to be looking at, we're going to start in First John 1.5, but in First John 1.4, this is page 1021, if you're using our black Bibles, it says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And if you have a Bible like mine, there's a little note after our joy, and it says some other versions of this letter, that of copies of it, say your joy. And so this letter is all about joy, whether it's about John saying, I want to have my joy be complete, or I want your joy to be complete. He has a motivation of joy as he's writing this. It's like, how do you know if someone really knows God? He's not doing it in a grumpy way. He's saying, like, this is for joy. I'm you know, fighting for your joy um, or for our joy. That's his, some of his purpose in writing. As we begin to look at this passage, just a big idea that we're, or a big question to answer that I've already brought up is, how do you know if you really know God and follow Jesus? How do you know you really know God and follow Jesus? And if someone else says they know God, how can you know that they really know God? What question would you ask? And you know, if you were to answer this morning, if we just went around, you know, one by one, and we're like, how do you, why do you say you know God? Like, what answer would you give? How do you know if you really know God and follow Jesus? And so John starts off, verse 5, uh, he gives them, basically, this is the message. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so he's saying, okay, this is you know, my basic message. This is what I got from Jesus, and now this is what I've been proclaiming, that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. You know, basically, later on he used the word truth to replace the word message. This is the truth. This is the message that we're telling to people, and it means there's uh, saying that God is light. There's nothing false, nothing untrue, nothing dark, nothing bad in God. God is always true. God, you could, always, you could say, God, what you see is what you get. Like, there is no imposture when it comes to God. He's never pretending to be someone he's not. But God is always light. There's truth. There's no lies or deception. He's always real. He is reality. And so now he's going to go through, what will someone be doing if they're practicing this truth? Here's my message. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. And so some, if somebody takes that message into themselves, takes that truth into themselves, 
what would their life look like? If they're practicing living out that truth, what would their life look like? What would it, if they're living in alignment with it, what kind of lifestyle would they have? And so he's going to go through three things. They basically have if and or if then in these statements. If this, uh, then this. And so the first one is in verses 6 through 7. And so it's anyone who claims to know God while, and then he's going to give some, uh, some categories and some details. So verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, that is God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so he says anyone who's claiming to know God while walking in darkness means two things. They're lying and they're not practicing the truth. They're lying about knowing God. If you're walking in the darkness, he's saying, and you say, I know God, while you're walking in darkness, he says, you're lying. You don't really know God. You're not practicing the truth. You're not practicing this message that we've been given, that God is light. There's, there's goodness and life in him because of that light. But then he says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And so he says, anyone who walks in the light uh, first has fellowship with God because you're walking in the light as he is in the light. And if we backed up to verse 3, he's talking about my, our fellowship is with God and with one another. And now he's saying, how can you have fellowship with God and how can you have fellowship with us? It's by walking in the light. God's in the light. So if you're in the darkness and God's over here in the light, you don't know him. You, aren't, you, you don't have fellowship with him. And then he says, uh, and you also have fellowship with one another, others who are in the light. God is in the light, and so if you're in the light, as he is in the light, you have fellowship with him, relationship with him, you know him, and also all the other people who are in the light. But if you're over in the dark, uh, and there's people in the light, it's like, well, you, you don't know them because you're, you're still over here, and they're over there. And so anyone who walks in light also, he says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And this word sin, obviously it's a Bible word, it's a church word, and he's going to repeat it in just these few verses. He's going to repeat it nine times. He's going to say the word sin nine times. And so that's a big theme in these verses. And so we need to define it. And one way to think of sin is saying no to what God commands and yes to what God forbids. You can think of sin as that. Sin is saying no to what God commands and yes to what God forbids. And it can be in big and small ways that don't do this, you know, little thing like, you know, my, I might tell Hudson, like, please don't throw your food on the ground when you're done with it. It's like, oh, that's, you know, a pretty little thing. But then, you know, big things like, you know, do not murder. Uh, it's like the small and big things that we're saying no to what God commands and we're saying yes to what God forbids. That is sin. And what he's saying here is knowing God and really knowing each other is only possible in the light. If you're in the darkness you're not knowing God. It's only possible in the light, and to know other people in the light, you have to get in the light too. But what does it mean to walk in the light? He's saying it, but he hasn't really defined it. Uh, he's, well, he gave a, a hint, cleansing from sin. He says if you walk in the light, you're cleansed from sin. But next, the next two if-thens then, if are going to expand on what does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to practice this truth that he's talking about? So verses 8 and 9 is about anyone who claims to have no sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So anyone who claims to have no sin, anyone who claims that they've never said no to what God commands, they've never said no or yes to what God forbids, anyone who claims they have no sin, he says, is deceiving themselves or lying to themselves. Uh, a couple of weeks ago on Easter, we talked about 
Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, All have sinned. There's no distinction between people. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter who you are, the color of your skin, where you grew up, what your religion is. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, at some point, and not even just some point, on a daily, weekly basis, says no to what God for- commands and yes to what God forbids. And so he's saying, if you're saying you have no sin, you're lying to yourself. Uh, you're deceiving yourself. And he says, secondly, uh, the truth, the message is not in you. Like, the message that God is light, and if you're walking in the light, then you're not denying you have sin. But he's saying that message that God is light and that he wants you to come into the light, uh, you're, that's not in you. That truth, that message isn't in you if you're saying you have no sin. And then verse 9, he gives the opposite. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so two things. Anyone who confesses their sins first can trust that God is faithful and just to forgive them of their sins. He's going to forgive them. And faithful and just is telling us, well, you can count on this, that if you come to God, walk, stepping out of the darkness and stepping into the light, walking the light means, what he's telling us here is confessing our sin, bringing that in the light, not hiding it in the dark, and we bring it to God, and we confess it. It says he's faithful and just. You can count on him. He's going to forgive you of your sin, because that's what he wants to do. He wants us to come to the light, to be forgiven. And secondly, it says to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So anyone who confesses their sins to God is forgiven and cleansed. That we step out of the darkness, into light, bring our sin to him, and then he takes care of it. So what does it mean to walk in the light? Darkness means that we claim we have no sin. Light means we confess our sin. We bring it into the light. We don't deny it. We don't make excuses. We don't blame others. And we can't forget, be forgiven of what we will not admit. So if we want to keep it in the dark, we can't be forgiven of it. We have to admit it, acknowledge it, confess it. And so his, his third um, if-then uh, pattern he does, starting in verse 10, he says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So anyone who claims to have not sinned is calling God a liar. And notice there's a progression here in uh, verse 6 that says, If you say you know God while walking in darkness, you're lying. Uh, if you claim to have no sin, uh, you're lying to yourself. Uh, and if you are, now it just kind of goes on the other side. If you claim to have no sin, you're lying to yourself. If you claim that have not, you have not sinned, you're calling God a liar. Because God has told you, you have sinned. You've said no to what I command. You've said yes to what I forbid. Everyone has sinned, no distinction, doesn't matter who you are. And so if you're going to say, like, I haven't sinned, it's like, well, you're calling God, the God of the universe, a liar, he's saying. And secondly, uh, your, his word is not in you. The truth is not in you. They're living a delusion, a lie, not in touch with reality. For the truth to not be in us, to walk in the dark, is to not walk in what is true, in what is reality. So it's saying you're denying reality. You're denying what is true by saying, I've not, I've not sinned. So, okay, so you're calling God a liar, and you are not living out the truth. And then he has this little interruption in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And so he's saying, like, okay, like I'm telling you, like if you come into the light, God will forgive you. If you tell him you have sin, he will forgive you. But he's saying, I'm writing to you so you won't sin. Uh, that's the goal here, is that you would be continually leaving sin behind, not walking in the dark, not doing the deeds of darkness that lead to death. Like, I want you to walk in the light as God is in the light. There's no darkness in him. There's no sin in him. We want to become like him in the light. He's saying, I, that's what I want for you. 
that's my purpose in writing this, so you may not sin. That's what this uh, I'm trying to do here. But then in verse 1, he continues, uh, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so he's saying, anyone who claims to have not sinned is calling God a liar, and the truth is not in them. But if anyone does sin, I don't want you to sin, but if anyone does sin and confesses it, we have an advocate. That's somebody who is working on our behalf. Not like, oh, God's like super mad, and then Jesus comes and he's like, well, God, they admitted it, you know, they confessed it, so please don't be mad at them anymore. No, that's not the whole plan of how God saves us and forgives our sin is God the Father saying, I'm going to pay for your sin, and the Son, fully God, uh, says, we're doing this together. It's how God pays for the nastiness of our sin, that it's ugly. It brings death, and God himself pays for that. And you couldn't say that Jesus' death on the cross was a proof of God's love for us, unless it was God dying on the cross, right? Like, if I die... Uh, I can't say, hey, this is a proof of God's love for you. Like, I'm going to go die for you. It's like, yeah, but you aren't God. So how could you, me dying prove God's love for you? No, God needs to die. Not God the Father, but God the Son becoming human and then dying in our place as a demonstration of God's love. And so he, he says, if anyone does sin and confesses, you have an advocate. Who? Jesus Christ. And early in verse 7 it said, uh, Jesus, his Son. So his Son advocating on our behalf proving God's love to us. It's like Jesus' living proof, like sin has been paid for for whoever comes into the light with it, confessing it. And then it calls him Jesus Christ the righteous. And Jesus is the only human who can truthfully claim to have no sin. This whole thing is about if you're claiming you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself and you're calling God a liar. Jesus is the only human being who can claim, truthfully claim, to have no sin. Never said no to what God commands. I never said yes to what God forbids. And that's why he could die in our place. Because if he had sinned, then he's just dying for his own sin. But since he didn't sin, he can now stand as our substitute in our place. And then verse uh, 2, the second part says, He is the propitiation for our sin. Meaning propitiation is a a Bible word that means to uh, turn away wrath. Uh, The definition of sin is, We've said saying yes to what God forbids, no to God, no to what God commands. And just imagine someone, you know, coming into your house and just ignoring all your house rules. Like maybe even have one of those little signs, like you might see a Hobby Lobby that's like, in this house we you know, wash our hands, we say thank you, we say please. And like maybe you have one of those. Imagine you had one of those when people walk in your house. It's like, hey, um, you know, don't break our stuff. Uh, you know, please take your shoes off, especially if they're muddy. Um, no throwing things. Um, you know, just all these things, you, you know, we obviously just assume that people are going to do. Like, you don't assume people are going to start throwing stuff and bring a bat and, you know, break things. You don't think they're going to come in and just make fun of you and of all your decorations and your food. You know, so it's like all those things, like, imagine our house rules of, like, what we expect people to do when they come to our house. And then it's all the things that we forbid and the things we command. And then we just come in and just trash it and just don't care. I don't care what you say. Like, that would, you'd be angry. You'd be furious. You'd say, get out of my house. Like, you are not welcome here. And God doesn't, like, fly off the handle like that. But just imagine, God has made this world, this place is supposed to be our home with him. And then we're just like, I don't care about your house rules. I'm going to do what I want. Like, if, you're, if I like your commands, maybe I'll follow them. Or if I feel like it, um, if you don't want me to do that thing, it seems kind of fun to throw, you know, 
some eggs at your wall. Like, I don't have to clean it up. Like, it's your house, right? It's like, but we're just like living in God's world, just ignoring all of his house rules. And like, there's consequences to that. And that's where propitiation is. It takes away that consequence of God's righteous and just and settled anger about us breaking all of his commands and not doing what he says. It's God's just punishment for sin, his wrath. And Jesus' death on the cross is what took that in our place. He entered in, going to the cross was Jesus taking the place of somebody who has broken all commands, of somebody who has gone in God's house and ruined everything, but he never did. And so he takes our place. That's what happens on the cross. But then it says, goes on further, not for our sins only, but for the whole world. And Jesus died for the whole world. God loved the whole world, that he gave his only son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so Jesus died for the whole world, because God loved the whole world. But his death, the benefits of it, are only applied to those who will say, I confess, I'm coming into the light. I'm bringing my sin out of darkness into the light. I'm saying, God, I need this. I need what you've done for me. I need your forgiveness. I've done wrong. Would you please forgive me? So the benefits are only applied to those who stop hiding, who stop claiming to have no sin. So a summary of this passage could be, anyone who brings their sin into the light is forgiven by God because Jesus cleanses them from their sin. Anyone who brings their sin into the light is forgiven by God because Jesus cleanses them of their sin. Which is like just an awesome picture of that God cleanses us. And how does that work? It's like, well, by the death of Jesus. And then we have this advocate. So it's like we bring our sin into the light, and then Jesus himself says, yeah, I, I'm going to clean you up. Like all this dirtiness you just brought in the light, like I'm going to clean you up, and I'm going to take care of this for you. So how do we, us personally, how do we claim to have no sin? How do we hide? If you went all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world, creates human beings, and in Genesis 3, they sin. They do what God forbids. Uh, they don't do what God commands. And then they hide. They go into hiding, first humans, Adam and Eve, and they're hiding from God, and they're blaming and defending themselves. You know, Adam, what happened to Adam? Uh, this woman you gave me, she did it. It's like blaming God and the woman, right? And then she says, well, the serpent did it. And they're hiding, they're covering each other, themselves up. They're ashamed. They were made naked and not ashamed, but now they are ashamed. They're hiding. They, the sin brought shame into their lives, and they're covering themselves up from each other. And so we do this. We hide. all <laughs> For all of human history, we hide. In the, at the presence of God, we hide our sin. And we do it by uh, denying, blaming, justifying, defending, comparing. I'm not as bad as them. Uh, or they did it first. You know, they, I was just reacting to what they did. We judge other people. We take these high positions where it's like, let me just talk bad about some of the people in my life that I don't think have it together. And that makes me feel better about myself. And so we walk in the dark. And when we do something wrong and somebody points it out, we have this inner defense lawyer that gets activated and starts arguing our case of why we shouldn't be condemned for this wrong we did. Like, well, it was because of that. Or like, here's why I did it. This is what I was thinking. I thought it would do this and, and this and that. And so that's how we hide, how we claim to have no sin. But why we claim to have no sin? Why do we claim to have no sin? Why would we rather hide and walk in the dark when we have a God inviting us to come into the light? And there were reason is because it's terrifying to come into the light. That I've got all this stuff, and if somebody saw it all, what are they going to do once they know 
how bad off I really am. So I just want you to make, to make this personal. I want you to fill in this sentence. I'm not out loud, but on your bulletin or your journal or in your mind. If anyone knew how blank. If anyone knew how blank. How scared I am. How addicted I am to alcohol. Or pornography. Or drugs. Or shopping. Or food. If anyone knew. If anyone knew how much my spouse and I fight. If anyone knew how much I think about killing myself. If anyone knew how annoyed I get with my kids. How angry I am all the time. If anyone knew how much I care about my weight. If anyone knew how lazy I am. How hard it is for me to get out of the bed every morning and face the day. If anyone knew how blank they, then what would happen? And just fill it in. If If anyone knew how blank, then blank. How would you fill that in? If anyone knew how scared I am, then they would never love me. They would never want to be my friend. They would reject me. They'd never talk to me. They'd be disgusted with me. They'd be disappointed. If anyone knew how blank, then this is what would happen. And just take, I'm just going to give you 30 seconds without me talking to think about that. Maybe you're just praying it or maybe you're writing it down. If anyone knew how blank, then this is what would happen. hold this stuff inside and we try to deal with it and we try to hide it. And what we think is if anyone knew the real me they couldn't really love me. And so we keep it in the dark. We stay in the dark. We hide it. If anyone knew the real me they couldn't really love me. And for many of us there's a gap between our real self and the self that people know. Layers of protection that we hide behind. But performing and pretending like this kills joy because we're showing people a false self, a false self that we're hiding behind. This is who I am, but actually back here is who I am, but it's hidden behind layers of protection. And we give people, we show people a more lovable version of ourselves. I think that this version of me is who they could love, who they could like, who they could deal with, who they want to be friends with. But it's only if we're fully known that we can be fully loved. Because otherwise, there's parts in the dark. I can't be fully loved if there's, you know, 30% of me off here in the dark and I'm showing you 70%. And it's like, well, now I can love this part of Mitch, but those parts aren't love. It's only if we're fully known that we can be fully loved. I just want to say that together. Uh, 
I'll say it one more time. Only if we're fully known, we'll be fully loved. Let's just say that together. Only if we're fully known, can we be fully loved. And I think we're always wondering, if we're hiding parts of ourselves, it's like, if they really knew me, would they still love me? Right? It's like, I have this part over here, but it's like, I can't show that to them. Because <laughs> would they even be friends with me? Would they still love me if they really knew the real me? And the light is terrifying because we don't know how the person's going to react. Here's the stuff I have. I'm going to bring it into the light, but what are they going to do about it? What are they going to do with it? Uh, how are they going to treat me afterwards? And God tells us exactly what he's going to do. He's going to cleanse us, and he's going to forgive us. And we're coming into the light with a God who is love. The first week of this series, we looked at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-12. through 12. And in this letter... John says God is light right here. And chapter 4 he says God is love. And so when we're coming into the light with a God who is light, we're coming into the light with a God who is love. And he tells us how he's loved us by demonstrating it in Jesus in 1 John chapter 4. He talks about that. And there's really two ways to call someone out of hiding when they've done something wrong. And you say, get out here right now to punish. Right? Get out here right now because you're going to get it. But there's another way to call someone out of hiding. You don't have to hide. I love you. Let me help. Two very different ways to call someone out of hiding. And if we hear the first one from God, that's not from God. Because God is saying, I've I've already shown you what I'm going to do with this. Jesus died on your behalf. Uh, Romans 5.8 that we looked at on Easter that God demonstrates his own love for us not while we are righteous, not when we are good, not when we are weak and sinful and as enemies and needy. He demonstrates his love by Jesus dying for us. Like, this is what I'm going to do with it. There's nothing to be afraid of. You can come out of hiding. Walking in the light is walking into arms of love. And God invites us to come out from behind our false self so that we can experience the joy of being loved no matter what by him, that we're no longer hiding behind that. And that's freeing, isn't it? Relieving that we can drop the act. That there's no more pretending and performing, no more faking it, that we can be real. And vulnerability, I've heard to find, is trusting someone with the real you. Being real about your sin, your struggles, your doubts, uh, what you're feeling, uh, your shortcomings, your growth areas. And notice that God doesn't say, get yourself cleaned up, and when you've done so, come out into the light and we can talk and have a relationship. No, He's, you're all dirty. Why don't you come out of the dark? And I'll clean you up myself. That we don't clean ourselves up and then come to God. That we come to God to be cleaned up. That's what he invites us to do. And here's a lie that we often believe. If we admit sin, we will lose relationships. And I'm not going to say this is a perfect world where that doesn't happen. Because I'm sure many of you have experienced relationships where you've done something wrong, you've sinned, and you no longer know that person, you're no longer friends with them, or the relationship was just never the same. And so in an imperfect world, that's what happens. When we sin, we lose relationships. But God is saying, uh, denying your sin is how you lose relationship with me. That's what he's saying. If you're going to deny it, if you're going to claim to have no sin, you don't have a relationship with me. But if you really want to know me, if you really want me to know you, uh, then you have to not claim you have sin. You you have to come out and not hide it. The truth that God says is admit sin and you you gain relationships. And that's what John says. He says, if you're going to claim to have no sin, well, you don't know God and you don't know us because we're out here trying to live this life where we're saying, 
this is what I've got going on. This is what's going on for me. This is what's so hard. This is what I'm struggling with. And we're all walking the light together. And we're all walking uh, with a God who is loved together. And it's only if we're real can we have real relationships. And being real with God won't scare him, surprise him, or change how he treats you, or disgust him. I mean, he knows it all already, right? (laughs) Uh, We just kind of exist in a way of pretending God doesn't know this. And as long as he doesn't know it, like, we're okay. And he says, no, you hiding it from me means we're not okay. And so we can, God loves us no matter what. No matter what we do, no matter what we doubt, no matter what we feel, no matter what we fail at. And even if God doesn't like what we do, he always loves us. And you could also change that. We're loved no matter what, and God likes what he loves. That was week one of this series. And so if God loves us no matter what, he likes us no matter what. If God doesn't like what we do, he still likes us. And we can receive that from him. We are enjoyed no matter what. He's glad to see us no matter what. And here's a principle. Your experience of joy is determined by the degree to which you feel love no matter what. The amount that you feel joy is determined by the degree to which you feel loved no matter what. And you feel loved no matter what by the degree to which you are real. And so if you are not being real, you're not going to feel loved no matter what. And if you're not feeling loved no matter what, you're not going to have the joy of being loved no matter what. And so it's only if we get out of the dark and come into the light to be real with God, that now we can actually feel love no matter what. And when we feel that, now we can have joy. And that's how those things work together. And so, just quickly, four ways. The message title today is Be the Real You. But who is the real you? Be the real you. Who is the real you? Well, first, the real you is awesomely and wonderfully made in the image of God. That's foundation. The real you is awesomely and wonderfully made in the image of God. Those words come from Psalm 139. That God still sees that. He created us in his image. This is David saying in Psalm 139, he like mur- committed adultery and murdered people uh, and cover- tried to cover it up. And he's still saying, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm awesomely and wonderfully made. I'm God's creation. I'm made in his image and his likeness. And God can see beyond our sin to how he made us. And so the real you first is awesomely and wonderfully made in the image of God. Secondly, the real you really needs Jesus. (laughs) That's the real you. That's the real me. And there's only two types of people in the world. Forgiven sinners and unforgiven sinners. Everyone's a sinner. It just matters whether it's forgiven or not. And with Jesus, the real you is forgiven and cleansed. So the real you is someone who really needs Jesus. Secondly, the real you, if you've trusted in Jesus, is a beloved child of God. The real you is that you are a beloved son or a beloved daughter of God. That if we come into the light, our primary identity to God is no longer, okay, sweet, all you sinners in the light, this is so great. No, God changes our identity, that he adopts us into his family, and now he calls us sons and daughters. And so the primary way he looks at us now is not sinner, the primary way he looks at us is, this is my beloved son or daughter who does sin sometimes, and I want them to come to the light so I can forgive them. And so the real you is a beloved child of God, if you've trusted in Jesus, to be adopted into his family. And lastly, the real you is in process. That where you are right now, God knew you would be where you are right now in terms of your 
you know, level of sinfulness, how many things you're still saying yes to and no to that you, you know, that, that count as sin. And so the real you is in process, and God knows that, and actually his plan is to change you over time, that he didn't say like, well, if you believe in me, everything's going to be, all, you know, you're just going to be like a perfect person. His plan is to change you over time. And so you aren't becoming a version of yourself that God will love more. I think that's what we think, like, I'm going to be in the dark until I can give God a version of myself that he can actually love. No, we're in process, and God loves us where we're at in that process. We're not becoming a version of ourselves that God will love more. So be the real you, someone loved and liked by God, no matter what. And if we went down to 1 John 4, 8, he says that God's perfect love casts out fear. And as we continue in this series, this is kind of like a dividing point in some ways. Uh, the first week we talked about how God actually likes you, that God likes what he loves, and he loves the whole world. Uh, and last week we talked about gratitude, and how gratitude helps us to be aware of God's love for us. And this week we're talking about vulnerability, of coming into the light. And the next three weeks really require vulnerability, uh, because next week we're going to talk about those things that the biblical word is idolatry, um, but we could call them addictions or cravings or ungodly things that we use to replace God with. And the week after that, we're going to be talking about feelings and how God invites us to bring our feelings to him. And then lastly, we'll talk about what we do with our pain, our pain of the past. And all those require vulnerability that we're bringing them into the light with God. And these first three weeks are really trying to help us see, feel the warmth of God's smile towards us so that we are like, okay, I feel safe bringing those things to him. God loves me and likes me no matter what. So now I can talk about my problems. I can talk about my pain. I can talk about my feelings. And our identity statement for today is this. We're a people who are real because God loves us no matter what. We're a people who are real because God loves us no matter what. And we can pass that on to each other. If you think about uh, in the, the letters in the New Testament, they're always greeting each other. The first paragraph starts with, Usually, greet the, greetings to all of you. This is so great. Like, grace and peace to you. And then they end with, hey, greet these people for me. And greetings really speak a lot to where relationship is at. Like, if you so have somebody walk in the room that you're not really happy about, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where maybe you're sitting with some people and somebody walks in the room and then you say to each other, like, oh, what are they doing here? You know, like, that's, it's like, I don't want to greet them. And our greeting really tells people, like, what do I think of you? Am I glad to see you? Do I want to see you? Or do I like... You know, when you walk in the room, am I happy to see you? And greeting really tells us a lot about, uh, it speaks joy to one another. Like, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done this week. You might have hurt me last week. You might have really messed up that I don't know, you know, proposal or whatever at work. But it's like, when you come in, I'm still going to say, like, hey, good to see you. Glad you're here. And that really speaks a lot to people. And do we have a God? How does he greet us when we come into the light out of the darkness? Is he just like, well, what do you think you're doing here? Like, <laughs> are you going to... You, you just come in here all dirty? Like That's not the greeting he gives us. We saw in John, uh, or Luke chapter 15 that he runs out to us, embraces us with love, and showers us with affection, that God's greetings are always joyful. And so, when we move to communion just a bit, we're going to think about this statement for you to fill in. I can be real with God about blank because I'm loved no matter what. And maybe you just pick the one thing, the thing that is like, man, if anybody knew about this, I'd be so scared about how they react. And it's like, I can be real with God about blank, because I'm loved no matter what. 
and we'll consider that question as we move into communion. But let me pray. Father, thank you for just these words of hope that you invite us to come out of our darkness into the light so we can be loved by you. Would you make us people who feel and know that we are loved no matter what. In your son's name we pray. Amen.